0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the first chapter, especially the ninth verse. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. And it is a good morning, isn't it? It's a beautiful morning. And I hope that all of us are thankful to God for the privilege on this Sunday to come into his house and to worship him. This morning, friends, we are going to celebrate the Festival of the Ascension. You and I know that Christ died on Good Friday. Three days later, on Easter, he arose from the dead. Forty days after Easter, he ascended into heaven. He went back home. Now, if you look on your calendar, you know that the Festival of the Ascension is this coming Thursday, But we are going to celebrate that festival of his going home today. And also today at Emmanuel, this is Recommitment Sunday for all of us who have previously committed ourselves to Christ as our Savior. And it's also commitment Sunday for some who have never previously in their lives surrendered to Jesus Christ. The text that I just read tells about the Ascension story. Jesus arose, we know, on Easter, and in that 40-day period, he made a number of appearances in order to convince his followers that he was alive, that he was the Savior. You recall that even on Easter Sunday, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and to the other women. He made an appearance to Peter, the two men on the way to Emmaus that afternoon, the disciples behind locked doors that night when Thomas was not there. The following Sunday night, he appeared again when Thomas was there and saw him alive. There was an appearance up in Galilee on the Sea of Galilee when he appeared to seven of the disciples when he reinstated Peter, you remember. Then there was that appearance on the mountaintop in Galilee when there were about 500 of the brethren and the disciples there and he gave the great missionary command. We are told that he appeared to his brother James and then on the 40th day after Easter, then he appeared to the 11. He met them in Jerusalem and as he met with them, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And they had a lot of questions they wanted to ask him. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he told them that was God's authority. And he said, now I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until, he says, I send the Holy Spirit. and Then I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the farthest ends of the earth. And it must have been quite a walk when the eleven walked with Jesus and they crossed the brook Kedron They went up the Palm Sunday road and they passed the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to the slope of the Mount of Olives and then evidently no one else around. He lifted his arms and he blessed the 11 and as he blessed them, he started to go up into heaven and those 11 men stood there flabbergasted and they simply were gaping up into heaven watching him until a cloud received him out of their sight. Then we are told that there were two men, two angels in white apparel that stood alongside of them and said, why ye men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven this same Jesus who has gone away is going to come in the same manner as he went away and then they went back to Jerusalem a little over a half a mile from the Mount of Olives now that's the ascension story and may we say this as we talk about the ascension Christ's ascension it, it calls to you and me this morning and it beckons to us to rejoice and to thank him and to praise him and to give him our gratitude that he went back to heaven We may say to ourselves as we celebrate the ascension, uh, you say that we are to thank him for going back to heaven, that we are to thank him for leaving this earth and going back home. We may say to ourselves, that's a pretty hard thing to do. Some of us may say, well, I can thank him for coming at Christmas. That's a great festival. And I can thank him for dying on the cross on Good Friday for me. And I can thank him for raising himself from the dead on Easter. But we may say we may hesitate to thank him and to praise him and to rejoice that on the Ascension day he went back to heaven. Uh, Some of us may feel that this was a, a brush off, to say the least that after all he, he went back to heaven, nice for him, Then, oh what a brush off, we may feel that's the greatest brush off in human history, uh, simply to abandon us down here, to flounder as best we can, uh, to go about and to grope as it were in the darkness, and to wander around aimlessly, we may say, uh, I find it rather hard to thank and praise him for his ascension that he went back home. We may say that was nice for him, but how about us? He took himself away from us. We may feel like that. But oh, if we understand the ascension that it was one of the great events in his life, and especially for you and me, then the ascension when it calls on us to thank and praise him that we will gladly do so because this is what it means. Oh, he took his visible presence from us to be sure. But the ascension means this, that Christ's chief concern in heaven right now is your welfare and mine. That the chief concern, his greatest concern as he is in heaven, his all-important and his all-consuming effort is for your well-being and mine, for our good and again for our well-comfort in this world. It was surely a withdrawal of his physical presence. But all that ascension means that the chief concern, you and I are the apple of his eye, his chief and special concern, his all-consuming work is for our welfare here on earth. He hasn't forgotten us. And you may say, Preacher, You mean to say that he who ascended into heaven, uh, that his all-consuming effort and concern is for our well-being, for our welfare, for our good? Oh, yes, because bear in mind that the ascension of Christ means this, that he went back to heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God, and that he continues his work as our great prophet. He sits at the right hand of God. God the Father, you know, never became a human being, so God the Father actually has no right hand but it's a symbolic expression that Jesus went back to heaven on Ascension Day and seated at the right hand of God means that he is seated in the place of honor in heaven. He's on the throne and you may say, what's he doing there? Uh, Has he forgotten? Isn't this a brush off? Who cares about us now that he's back home and that it's all over? The word of God assures us that when he went back to heaven, that he went back to continue the work that he began here on earth as our prophet. And you and I know he came into this world to be a prophet, to be a great teacher. That was one thing. He came to tell men that he was no less than the Son of God. He came into the world to be one who taught as having authority. He said he was from the bosom of the Father. He came to reveal the Father's will. He came to reveal that he was the Savior, that he was the way to heaven. Remember in the upper room when he told the disciples the night before his death that he was going away and he said and you know where i'm going and you know the way and remember it was thomas that said lord we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way and jesus says thomas you mean i've been with you so long and you don't know where i'm going and you don't know the way and then jesus the great teacher says thomas i am the way the truth and the life he said i am the way to heaven i am the savior you are saved through faith in me and then he went back to heaven to continue it You may say, what is he doing at the right hand of God for us and what has he done as our great prophet? Well, when he went back to heaven seated on the throne, we had the Old Testament. He, through the Holy Spirit, had given us the written word. We had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and the books of Samuel, to books of Kings and the books of Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naim, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, Malachi. We had that, but we didn't have a New Testament that had never been written what he, the great teacher, had taught. And so what did he do? On the throne of God, because his great concern is your welfare and mine, He moved by means of the Holy Spirit men to write the New Testament. And he gave it to us. And that's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus, and Philemon, and Hebrews, and James, and 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd 3rd John, and Jude, and Revelation. He did that for us. And again, not only did he give us the New Testament, writing it down so that we would have a record and we would have his truth, but he is doing something monumental in this 20th century. I read from the King James Version of 1611, but I wonder how many of us realize that on the throne of grace, Christ, who has ascended into heaven, is doing something marvelous. We are having translations of the Bible today that no other generation has ever seen, and they're monumental. Again, the Revised Standard Version has come. There's J.B. Phillips' translation. There's Good News for Modern Man. There is Norley's translation. There is Dr. Beck's translation. There is the Jerusalem Bible. There is the New English Bible. And then again, there is also the New American Bible that just came out. He on the throne, eternally concerned about you and me, is giving us his word. His truth in so many translations that I'm telling you, if you and I have got any intelligence at all, we can understand his truth. No generation has ever seen anything like it. And therefore, again, when we say to ourselves, what should I rejoice about his ascension? Thank God we ought to rejoice and thank Christ eternally for going back to heaven because the chief concern of Christ at the right hand of God is your welfare and mine. He has given us his truth in writing and he is preserving it so that you and I don't lose it and we don't lose salvation that we have in him. Supposing the word of God would vanish from the earth, supposing we'd lose it, supposing we would not have the knowledge that Christ is the way to eternal life. He is preserving it. He went back to heaven. And therefore the greatest concern that he has is your welfare and mine. There is every reason to shout and to thank and to praise him for his ascension into heaven because it was not a brush off. It was not again an abandonment. It was not a desertion. He went back to heaven and he sits at the throne of God because his chief concern is carrying on the work that he did when he was here on earth as our great teacher. And therefore today we ought to say, I'm going to thank him for his ascension. That while he did take his visible presence away, and nevertheless, his chief concern, we are the apple of his eye. He has given us his word, he has preserved it, and we ought to thank and praise him. And that ought to mean then in recommitting ourselves or committing ourselves to him for the first time, we ought to do it gladly and willingly and consider it an honor to go out and to witness for him. You know, he told the eleven, he said, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall be my witnesses. He told 11 men, I am entrusting you with the future of my church. Someone has said, supposing the 11 had not gone out and witnessed, what would Christ have done? And the great answer is this, Jesus never reckoned with failure, never. He told 11 men, I want you to go out and I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the farthest ends of the earth. And they went out and oh, when you and I commit ourselves to him or recommit ourselves to him because we know that as he sits at the right hand of God gone home, that we are his chief concern. What an honor, having preserved the word, that you and I can go out and witness and tell what he has done for us. There is no greater way to spread the good news of Jesus Christ than to tell somebody else by word of mouth what he's done for us. To say that in him I have found the forgiveness of my sins. In him I have found peace with God. In him I have found eternal life. In him I have found that life effervesces, that there's a joy in living. And when you can tell somebody else about that, oh, the joy that comes into your life and mine, that we have helped someone, that we have been the means whereby someone has been rescued from eternal darkness to the joy of eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is what it ought to mean. As we celebrate the festival of the ascension, we say to ourselves, ascension calls to us to thank Christ, to praise his name, to give him our gratitude because he went back home and uh, we may say, oh, this this looks like a brush off to me. This looks like, again, that he has abandoned us and uh, we just have to grope here as best we can and again we flounder here and there in darkness and uh, he doesn't care about us. But oh, what thankfulness we ought to have that the Ascension. It's a great act in his life because he went back not to forget us. He went back, we are assured of this, in the second place. He went back to continue his work as our great high priest. You know, he came as our high priest, not only as a prophet, The high priest of the Old Testament to remember he took the blood of lambs and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. Christ came into the world also to sprinkle blood, but it was his own. As Isaiah said, he was the lamb that was led to the slaughter. He became the high priest and also the sacrifice. He came into the world and he went to Calvary's cross, didn't he? As the God-man born of the Virgin Mary on the cross, he bore our guilt and our punishment because he was God and man. And he married today 100% righteousness for you and me and for all men. This was the great task that was his as, again, our great high priest. And then on Ascension Day, 40 days after his resurrection, he went back home to continue that work. You and I may say, what's he doing for me at the right hand of God right now? The word of God says he makes eternal intercession for you and me. In simple language, that means that he pleads eternally without one gap of a billionth of a second for you and me. It means this, that because he at the right hand of God is your high priest and mine, that he pleads with the Father. It means that in your life and mine, every day when we commit sins of ignorance of which we're not aware, They are forgiven as fast as we commit them without even asking him. There is a constant flow of his forgiving grace to us because he eternally pleads the Father. It means in your life and mine every day when we commit sins of weakness, when we think things that we know we shouldn't think and we don't want to, when we say things that we didn't want to say and we know that we shouldn't say them, when we have done things that we regret and we say, I didn't want to do that, to know that because he pleads as our high priest those sins are forgiven before we ever ask him. You and I may not get around to asking for the forgiveness of sins until the night when we go to bed. But every sin of weakness in your life and mine up until that moment is forgiven before we've asked him because it's like Niagara Falls. There is a constant flow of his forgiving grace because he pleads without an interruption of a billionth of a second for you and me. He pleads to the Father And not only that, but he, again, there's constant strength in every temptation. He assures you and me that no temptation will ever come to sin, to, again, to go out of grace. But what he says, here is strength to bear. And also, if you and I should deliberately sin and persist in sin, he assures you and me that he pleads the Father, give him time to repent. Oh, what would it be if when we deliberately sinned that he would come in with judgment and damn our soul immediately? oh again the patience it's inexhaustible on his part isn't it how long he puts up with us when we deliberately sin pleading the father to give us patience and time and therefore again how we ought to rejoice and thank god for the ascension yes he took his physical appearance away from us but oh god he sits on the throne and you and i are the apple of his eye his great concern his all-consuming concern is our welfare Because, again, he does everything as our high priest that he could do to keep you and me in grace in a saved state until the day of our death. There isn't anything that he doesn't do because he pleads incessantly. And, oh, that's what ascension means. He hasn't caused you and me to be brushed off. We aren't here floundering alone, not at all. We aren't here deserted by him to simply grope in darkness and wonder whether we're going to make it. We've got a friend in heaven who is on the throne who is pleading for you and me just as our high priest when he came into the world to be our Lord and to be our Savior. And that ought to mean today that as we thank him, then as we commit ourselves to him and recommit ourselves, we ought to do it gladly, never hesitating to feel, uh, oh, I can't go to him with my sins. Uh, He's on the throne of grace he's at the right hand of God he'd never understand my situation you know there's one thing about the ascension that sometimes you and I forget remember when he died on the cross on good Friday at three o'clock he went to heaven with his spirit he has the spirit but his body stayed here and they buried it remember But on the 40th day, on the ascension day when he went to heaven, don't forget, that body went along. He went to heaven as a human being. And sometimes we forget that and we miss the comfort of that. He is God to be sure, but sometimes we fail to realize that he was a human being in every sense of the term except that he never sinned. Does it mean anything to you and me to know that on the throne there is a human being? He tells us in the word of God that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he said, don't hesitate to come to me with your sins. I don't care what they are. I've been through the mill. I'm a man. I was down there on earth for 33 years. I didn't sin, but I know what you've got to put up with. I know what temptations are. Don't hesitate to come to me. I'm a man. Because I'm a human being on the throne, I understand if nobody understands. And When you come and tell me you're sorry, and when you ask me for forgiveness, don't you ever worry that I'm going to cast you out. I'm a man, and I am also true God. I understand. I walked where you walk. I know what sin is. I've seen it. Don't ever feel that I'm so far away from you, he would tell you and me that I don't understand. And he is the God-man gave us the Lord's Supper, didn't he? He says, and to assure you that I understand that when you come and you confess your sins and you ask me for forgiveness and you surrender to me, I've given you my body and my blood in connection with bread and wine. It was my body and my blood, he tells you and me, that brought forgiveness of sins, that delivers you from hell and that gives you eternal life. And in my sacrament I give you bread and wine which give you my body and blood and it brings with you those three blessings. You are forgiven, you're saved from hell. Eternal life is yours and you've got an external seal just as sure as you saw the bread and wine and you received it and you waited and you drank it. Jesus says, I'm a man on the throne. This is comfort for your weak faith. You are forgiven. I don't care what your sins have been. You are delivered from hell. You are saved. I give you the visible evidence, the guarantee, the bread and the wine. What greater thing could he do? This is what ascension means. We say to ourselves as we celebrate the ascension, it looks like a big brush off. It looks like uh, he went to heaven. Nice for him that all oh, we're left here groping and we're wandering in the dark and again we say to ourselves well he has abandoned us oh no he's taken his visible presence but we are also assured that it means that he sits at the right hand of God and he is still continuing to be king for us oh when he came down to earth he not only came to be a prophet he not only came to be our high priest but he came to be a king and of course Pontius Pilate looked at him and being a Roman, Pontius Pilate looked at him and they called him a king and Pontius Pilate said, he's a king, oh boy. And Pontius Pilate, you know, he had his soldiers put a robe on him and they pleaded a crown of thorns and they yanked it on his head and they beat it on his head and he was there all bloody and Pilate had had him scourged and they put a reed and they laughed and they spit in his face and they really had a big time and uh, this is the king oh yeah Pilate oh he snickered in his cynicism you are a king but oh you know Jesus said yes I am yes I am I am a king, Pontius Pilate, I may not look like one, but I'm a king. He didn't look like one, no, Pilate laughed at him, cynically scorned him. But he said, my kingdom is not of this earth. He said, but I came to be a king, and he established a wonderful kingdom, didn't he? A kingdom that knows no barriers and no bounds, a kingdom for the saved. And then he went back to heaven. And he, again, his greatest concern is your welfare and mine. he continues as a king. And you and I may say, now, wait a minute, preacher. Do you mean to tell me that Christ is still king and that he's ruling this world? Uh, They say, that's nice stuff to tell us in church. But uh, it sure doesn't look like Christ is ruling this world. It looks like it's way beyond him. And may I say, I mean to tell you just exactly that, that this God-man still is ruling the world. He's got the upper hand. You may say, well, how do you prove it, preacher? Well, first of all, I would say his kingdom is still here, isn't it? His kingdom is still... He said the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And for 2,000 years it's here. And it's growing. It isn't growing as fast as we'd like to see it, but it's growing. And it hasn't been absolutely destroyed. And souls are being won, as you and I can testify today in our church. Men are still committing themselves to him. What you say, is he still ruling? I'd like to just mention one thing he said. You know, we forget... He said, you know, when he talked about his own people, the Jew, he said this generation, he said this race shall not pass away until all is fulfilled. Did you ever realize what it means when you see a Jew? Did you ever realize, friend, what it means? You know, by every rule of history, there shouldn't be a Jew alive, a little small race of insignificant people, and you still got the Jew. You remember when God called Abraham to be the father of a Jewish nation, and God said, Abraham, he said, if you will go where I sinned, I will make of you a great nation. And he said, and I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. Did you ever realize what happens when people curse? The Jew, instead of blessing them, could I just remind you a minute? Oh, it received this kingdom became greatest under David and Solomon, didn't it? Then it was divided in 922, and then in 722, a king by the name of Shalmaneser came over. He was the king of Assyria. Here was a nation; it was the greatest nation under earth, and stood for over 400 years. He came over and he carried the ten tribes of the northern kingdom into captivity. But God had said to Abraham, and I will curse them that curse if you. And I'd like to ask you, friend, where is the Assyrian nation? Where is it? Gone. Over 400 years. Where is it? It laid its hand on Israel. You think Jesus isn't ruling the world? Let's come down to 586, and then Nebuchadnezzar got smart. You know, he came over from Babylon, and he sacked the great temple of Solomon and destroyed the kingdom of Judah, and he carried him into captivity. He was the ruler of the world. And one night when his descendant Shalmaneser was eating and drinking and making whoopee, there was handwriting on the wall. Remember, many, many, tickle you farce and weighed in the balance and found one ain't. uh Babylon laid its hand on Israel. May I ask you, where's Babylon? Gone. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you oh of course you know from school your roman legions you know your julius caesars and your augustus caesars they ruled the world don't forget that they ruled it pretty mightily didn't they and when jesus was here on earth he said and this temple shall be destroyed you shall not see one stone left on another again he said Jerusalem's going to be destroyed in the year 70 titus you know the great roman emperor you saw my pictures and you saw the great arch to tie that he came in and sacked the city and destroyed the race Uh, by the way Fran where are the Roman legions they rule the world where are they I will curse them that curse you and then in our day there was a Hitler you know and Hitler was going to commit genocide he was going to be the one to eliminate the Jew off of the face of the earth 6 million to 7 million in the gas chambers of Buchenwald in Dachau and I stood there on those grounds he was going to destroy him but I will curse them that curseth you may I ask you where is Hitler in his third Reich well where are they? They're gone. They're gone. You ask me whether Jesus is still running the works? My answer is yes. Yes, friend. The fact that there's a Jew alive means this, that till the end of time, there will be a Jew. You will never exterminate him. And today, look what's happening here at the center of the world. The Middle East, Israel, and the Arab world. And again, Armageddon, what's happening? A little race that according to history, there have been thousands of races wiped off. Where are the Canaanites and the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Jebusites? They're all gone, but little Judah still alive. The world is focusing. Jesus said they're going to be here like come again. I rather feel, I don't know about you, that my king on the throne is still running the show for us and that we are his chief concern because he is going to protect us, that nobody is going to snatch you and me away from him because he's got all power. And I believe he's coming back as the angel said that day and he's going to come through and fulfill every promise that he's made and I challenge you to prove I'm wrong whenever you see a Jew don't you ever forget it that means visible proof as a man on the throne he'd run in the works for his king you need any greater proof that's what these three women was trying to tell you this morning he still continues as prophet he's still a high priest he's still a king so today when we thank him for his ascension wasn't a brush off at all no he just took his visible presence his chief concern is you and again his chief concern is I his church and he's still running the works therefore when we surrender to him when we commit ourselves to him we ought to do it gladly we ought to do it again and spending this time and showing mercy and kindness to our fellow man by our deeds and by our words, realizing that he's coming again. Today is looking world action, isn't it? We ought to say, Christ is coming back. My fellow man has need, and I am alive, therefore, that I'm going to show kindness and mercy to a man in need. I'm going to show my faith and my deeds, and I'm going to help. man. But I know he's coming, and he might come today he said the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations then he's coming, he's coming back don't you ever really worry about that he could come today, you see it's again he's just waiting Only reason he's not coming some more souls can be added and then he's coming back and when you and I have committed ourselves to him this king who is coming back this king that Pontius Pilate thought was oh it was just the most laughable thing he ever saw and the most ridiculous person he ever saw but he's come back and he's going to look pretty nice he's going to vindicate himself and the world's going to stand yeah that's the king and then it means when you and I have him when he comes back it means a heaven of joy we're going to feel at home what does heaven mean to you you know when I think about it we talk about what what's the joy of heaven a lot of things to a lot of people to me one of the great joys of heaven is this there's going to be a man on the throne Again, we stress his deity, but don't forget he was a human being. Thank God, on the sense that he went home is a human being, and he's going to have, he's got his prince in his hands and the side in his feet. and I'm going to feel at home in heaven. One of the greatest joys in life, I ask, do you know of any greater joy than to feel at home? If you don't feel at home in church this morning, you're miserable, aren't you? One thing that we want above all is to, to be wanted. We want to be loved. And and we want to feel at home. When you don't feel at home, that's a horrible thing. Heaven is where you're going to feel at home. My roommate, I think of him. My roommate was also a classmate of mine, and we graduated together, therefore, from college. We were both going into Sam in September, but he changed his mind. He was quite a Latin student, and he didn't know whether he wanted to be a minister or not, so he decided he was going to teach in one of our colleges, and he said, I'm going to leave you and so i had to get another roommate and he went out to teach in one of our colleges he went september and about february march the following year i got a letter from him he wrote to me and he said marty he said uh, I, I this teaching is not what i want he said I, I want to come back to the seminary i want to be a minister but he said the only way i'm going to come back he said if i can room with you and he said this he said if i can't room with you i'm not coming back because he said you're the only person I know of with whom I feel at home that, that got me the only person that made him feel at home he was staking his life in the ministry whether I'd take him back as a roommate said the only person that I can feel at home with is you who made me feel good and made me feel humble and I wrote back to him immediately and I said you come on I'll room with you and he's in the ministry today it's horrible My last trip up to Minneapolis to the church headquarters, I didn't feel at home. I felt miserable. I came home depressed. It's a horrible feeling. But I know this in heaven. When my Lord comes, I'm going to feel at home. There won't be a billionth of a second when you and I won't feel wanted. We won't feel at home. But he with the apple of his eye not one moment in all eternity that we won't say oh how wonderful it is to be here this is what it means oh let's surrender and resurrender today it's a privilege if we can walk the glory road we know in heaven we're going to feel at home oh God that's heaven to look at him, the God man, and say, O oh God, how great thou art! How great thou art! How great thou art! Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.